Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team and the Orioles have won the game they did it they did it they did it and they're going crazy they're jumping on each other one of the most unbelievable finishes you will ever see And welcome to it. Thanks for being with us here on Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite, Brett Hollander, and Jeff Arnold with you. And Jeff, today we're going to go back all the way again to October of 2012. Uh, this time we're going to chat to a guy who uh, didn't pitch a whole lot of games for Baltimore, but <laughs> he made his, his starts count. Joe Saunders will join us coming up. The wild card game is really what he's known for. And I, there was obviously a lot of speculation as to why is Joe Saunders pitching this game against the Rangers when his numbers against Texas going back to his time with the Angels weren't particularly good. Buck Showalter is a manager that looks at absolutely everything, including splits against teams that you're facing. So I think some people were a little bit curious about it, but he came over to the Orioles. And if you look at why they were so successful in September and how they didn't look at themselves as underdogs, which is something that Saunders talked about in the podcast, a big reason had to do with the way Joe Saunders pitched in the month of September. He was going out there and consistently providing quality starts and, and good efforts and coming over for the Diamondbacks. It was a dream come true for him to join the Orioles because it was a team that he followed when he was growing up, being not that far away in Virginia, and he put up great numbers in September. That gets him the the nod for the wild card game, first year of those one-year wild card games, by the way. And he puts up a great start there. And then you fast forward to the division series, and he was just as good against the Yankees, forcing it into game five. Yeah, I don't remember every aspect of Buck's choice, but here's the breakdown. The Orioles really needed – they played the last series against the Rays in St. Pete, and they were pretty much – they had clinched when they arrived. There were three games left, but were in the division race, trying to get out of the wild card game, essentially to the bitter end. Uh, so they had really used up their, you know – Every, you know, Jason Hamill had a big year. Wei In Chen had a big year. Those guys were going 1-2 in the division series anyway. And Chris Tillman had a huge second half. Uh, I remember he pitched one of the final games of that regular season. So it wasn't like they had a ton of options. Um, but he'll tell us coming up, Steve Johnson was warming up behind him after like two batters in that wild card game. And I had a former minor league manager who would tell me at, at one point, if you want to maybe get – 
under the skin of your starting pitcher and you want to give them a little bit of push and be like, you have to pitch a little bit better, get somebody up in the bullpen. And that maybe had that effect where he gets that out against Josh Hamilton. He goes pretty deep. And then you knew that if you were able to get it to that bullpen with O'Day and Mattis and Jim Johnson at the very end, you had pretty good sense that things were going to work out. And sure enough, O'Day pitched great for the couple of innings that he was in. Brian Mattis got some big outs when he came in, and then you turn it over to Jim Johnson. Even though he had that bases loaded situation with two outs in the ninth against the Rangers, great offense, he still got out of it and got the Orioles into the division series. To me, there was something so wonderful and so baseball about the pitching matchup. You had this unreal fireballer who was one of the hottest uh, names in baseball and still, but at that time, especially in you Darvish going for the Rangers who won back-to-back pennants against, let's say in like year eight or nine for Joe Saunders, let's call it crafty. And uh, this wonderful dichotomy between these two and and how it presented itself. And it wasn't like Darvish pitched poorly, but you know, the Orioles did just enough and Saunders Grit, scratch, clawed his way through five and two thirds, and then, as you said, handed over to that Orioles bullpen. And that was kind of the way that Joe Saunders pitched. You, you go all the way back to to the story that he told at the very end of our of our podcast, uh, just about the injury that he suffered earlier on in his career, and he knew that that was the type of pitcher that he had to be, where he didn't have overpowering stuff, but he knew how to pitch, and he had a bulldog mentality that he was going to find a way to, to get you out. As nice as he was on this podcast and as nice of a guy as his, his reputation uh, led you to believe that, you know, he was, and he is, he's a very nice guy. But you flipped a switch when he got on that mound, he was going to find a way to, to get you out. And he did that a lot for the Orioles when he came on board in that 2012 season. All right, let's get to it. Former Oriole left-hander, Joe Saunders. And joining us right now on Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite, is someone who's pitched in a, one of the bigger games in recent Orioles history. The uh, veteran southpaw of the major leagues, Joe Saunders, is with us right now. And Joe, how you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Uh, let's go back to that night, uh, October 5th, 2012, in Arlington, Texas, where you bested you Darvish in a sudden death game, the wild card game, the first ever wild card game in major league history. Uh, were you surprised that Buck Showalter gave you the ball that night? Uh, I don't know if surprised is the word. I would say shocked. <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody knew my, my stats going into uh, Arlington Stadium, and they weren't uh, exactly stellar, I would say, pretty nicely. So, um, you know, but, you know, for him to show the confidence, uh, you know, he showed in me to give me the ball was uh, – you know, for me, it was, you know, it was a big step. And then, you know, I had to go out there and, you know, be the true underdog story, if you will. You'd pitched in a couple of different postseasons before. Did any of that experience help prepare you a little bit better for making that start against the Rangers? I think so. I think so. My experience with the Angels was, uh, you know, we were, well, let's put it this way. It was, you know, we were, we were the playoffs, uh, seemed like almost every year which was was amazing and uh you know for me to you know get that ball in that game in that kind of situation you know I had to reflect on you know trying to keep my cool not trying to do too much but yet kind of giving it everything you got so it's kind of that fine line of 
you know, controlling your adrenaline yet, uh, you know, go as hard as you can for as long as you can. So it's basically what I just tried to do. And here you are against the Rangers who had won back-to-back pennants. They have their prize possession on the mound. Uh, what, how do you think you were going to navigate through that one uh, to at least give the Orioles a chance and hand it over to probably what was the best bullpen in baseball? I knew that going in, I was like, hey, if, if I can keep us kind of in the game and close, I knew our bullpen was, you know, you know, second to none at that point, you know, going into that game. So I was like, you know, if I can just keep us close, maybe, you know, keep it tied or, or uh, you know, somewhat in control, you know, I, I knew I was going to be okay. You know, I was just, you know, I, you know, I look back and I go through, you know, I can all, I can still go through every hitter and, you know, especially that first inning where I think I walked. Kinsler to lead off and then I gave up a single so I first and third with Hamilton up nobody out and I'm like okay this can go two different ways uh this can either go for a ground ball double play and I can get out of this jam or this is going to get ugly pretty quick I remember looking back at the bullpen and seeing uh Steve Johnson already already warming up and I hadn't even got it out yet so um I was like all right time to bear down let's make a pitch here you know and luckily uh Hamilton uh rolled it over to uh and got a nice little four, six, three double play and got out of that jam. Given your experience against the Rangers, I mean, how tough was it facing a one-two punch like Josh Hamilton and Adrian Beltre? Because the Rangers were, were loaded from an offensive standpoint. They were. I mean, you know, even going back to my my years with the Angels, you know, it, it wasn't Hamilton or Beltre I was really worried about. It was the, the smaller guys like the Kinslers, the Andrews, the you know, Napoli had a lot of power. Um, you know, I think Michael Young was still there at that time. So I think his numbers are just ungodly against me. Like I could, I couldn't get that guy out to save my life. So um, you know, for me to, you know, for me to pitch the way I did, you know, after that first inning was, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was a confidence builder, obviously, but it also also propelled us into that uh, division series against the Yankees. Yeah, I do want to talk about that coming up. Uh, you come over late August in a trade. Uh, to Baltimore, the Orioles are surprising everyone in, in not only a wild card race, but really neck and neck with the Yankees at that moment and take the Yankees all the way to the end of the season and then and, and obviously to the division series. What was your impressions of that kind of underdog team that you were traded to in late 2012? Well, I, I think everybody kind of wrote us off. You know, everybody's like, you know, there's no way we're going to match up against these Yankees. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of time before, you know, we go on maybe a bit of a losing streak. And we honestly never did. You know, if I remember correctly, you know, every game we lost, I feel like we won the next one or maybe got a little two or three game losing streak or, you know, and then won the next three in a row. So, I mean, we were pretty, we were pretty solid and steady that whole, that whole August and September, if I remember correctly. So, um, but we believed in ourselves, you know, we, you know, I I came into a a really good situation and the guys kind of went about their business, had great leaders. um, And I just kind of like, I told myself, Hey, I just need to do my job. Um, you know, I, I got along with everybody super great. You know, Buck was amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Your September numbers were really, really good. And I, it probably had something to do with the fact that the Orioles had such a great last full month of the season. What made that September so good for you when you came to Baltimore? Um, well, for me, I, you know, ever since, you know, my career started in 05, I always prided myself on, um, uh, you know, making uh, September games count. Um, it's always nice to play for something in September, and it's 
it's kind of that preliminary stage, you know, leading up to the playoffs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just that it's, it's that extra adrenaline flow you get uh, in September knowing that, hey, if, if we can push through this, get through this and, and, and scratch away some, some victories, uh, we can put ourselves in a great position. And that's, that was our mindset that whole September. Not to sound too corny about it, Joe, but obviously uh, you had a long baseball career, but beating Darvish in a sudden-death playoff game, uh, where does that one rank for you personally? You know, it, it, it ranks number one for many reasons. Um, you know, like I, like I said before, like my numbers leading up to there, um, you know, I just it, it, was, it was one of those things where, you know, no one, no one really gave me a chance, so I kind of had to prove myself not only to myself, but to, uh, to a lot of other people. And, you know, at the time, you know, it was, you know, for Buck to give me the ball in that kind of situation, it was just, uh, it, was, it was a pretty amazing feeling and it was a lot of pressure, but, uh, you know, and a lot of responsibility. But, uh, you know, I just told myself, hey, let's, uh, let's piss a lot of people off in Vegas and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and go win this one and, and really get a, really get a celebration going to Texas. You know, you talked about the moment earlier on where uh, you had to face Hamilton and, and you see, see Steve Johnson warming up. But how about end of game as you're trying to, to close it out and, and you're in the ninth inning and Jim Johnson is looking at, at bases loaded and, and two outs? What's going through your mind at that point? Uh, I'm like, hopefully – I remember Jimmy Johnson would get ground ball after ground ball. So I'm like, hey, Jimmy, like, let's just get a ground ball to, uh, to JJ and uh, get, out of this, get out of this jam. And you know, I, don't, I don't remember how we got the last out. It, might, it probably was a ground ball, I think. But, uh, you know, I, I had full confidence. I mean, he was, he was in a lot of pressure-packed situations uh, that whole August and September that I remember. And he always managed to either get out of them or our defense would always make a great play behind him to get a huge double play or, or, or make an out. So. Joe, you also start a must-win game four of the division series against the Yankees. I mean, we've gone back a, a lot over that 2012 series against New York, and you want to talk about every game being a nail-biter. Uh, that series was very much up for grabs. Uh, the Orioles play out a long extra inning game when you start game four in the Bronx. Uh, you have the same exact line in the wildcard game and the division series game, five and two-thirds, one run. Uh, but you had to navigate those two lineups, too. Tell us about that division series. Well, I mean, the division series was, I mean, you know, anytime you go up against the Yankees, it's always, it's always high pressure, a lot of energy, a lot of adrenaline, stuff like that. Um, and it's, it was just, I remember it being so much fun. I mean, uh, you know, having, having Camden Yards packed for, you know, for the first game. And uh, when I think AJ hit that home run off of uh, CC, I mean, it was pretty, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but uh, I mean, it was just, I just remember having so much fun and it being, a lot of pressure, um, but I just remember we, you know, we, we, we did our thing. Like, the guys there that were before me, they knew they could play with the Yankees. They weren't, uh, you know, they weren't, uh, you know, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, they weren't. Intimidated? Yes, thank you. Uh, they weren't intimidated at all. We knew we could play with them. We knew we could beat them, actually, too. So, you know, for us to take it to the game five, and in game four, I was just like, hey, Let's get this. Let's get this to game five because I, I liked our chances in game five, and then CC just actually, you know, pitched out of his mind, and uh, they scored a couple of uh, you know early runs off us. But uh, it was it was a great series. 
you were able to minimize the Rangers, and then you pitched, like Brett said, really well against the Yankees. Um, who is the, who's the toughest part of that Yankees lineup back during that time? Because, uh, like the Rangers, they were pretty stacked as well. Yeah, well, for me, it was Jeter. I remember there was one at bat uh, against, against DJ, and it was, I think, maybe a first and third situation or a bases loaded situation, and there was two outs. And I remember I threw at least like 12, 13, maybe 14 pitches against this guy. And I guess I remember <laughs> – I actually talked to him about it the next day, but uh, I think I think probably about pitch number eight, we basically started laughing at each other. Like, hey, can you please just hit this ball in place so we can get the hell out of here um, and move on to either the next person or I'm going back in the dugout. So um, that was definitely the toughest at bat. I remember, you know, Wheaties, uh, Wheaties came out and, and talked to me at like pitch 13 and said, hey, what do you want to do? I'm like – you know what? We've thrown like six or seven fastballs in a row, and he's fouled them all off. It's like, you know what? Let's go. Let's go breaking ball three two. And I just remember, right, I'm gonna throw this breaking ball as hard as I can. Hopefully, it's over the plate, and he swings and misses. And uh, fortunate enough, he did it, and we got out of that jam with uh, two outs. But uh, you know, he he always just battled me so well, and um, just actually, you know, hit, talking to DJ the next day, uh, you know, it was such a class act by him. Um, and I just remember talking to him about the abat, and we're, we're standing on the sidelines during BP, uh, chatting it up, laughing, going back through the situations, and uh, it was just it was just one of those one of those awesome baseball moments where like you get to talk to you know one of those future Hall of Fame superstar kind of guys. Joe, let's talk about a little bit about your baseball journey in life. You're from the Mid Atlantic region, from Virginia. I've always felt the DMV was very underrated as far as uh, producing top quality talent. You're a first round pick, and we can go through the list of names of, of Virginians and people from our region here who have you know gone on to great careers. What was high school and uh, college ball like for you, kind of growing up in our region? Well, I mean, it was it was it was it was my whole world. I mean, honestly, it was it was everything everything I dreamed of. You know, growing up as a kid, you know, I, I get to you know, play ball in Northern Virginia for an unbelievable high school coach in Ron Tugwell, go to Virginia Tech where my parents uh, both went to too. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was, you know, met my wife in Virginia Tech. So, I mean, it was just, it was one of those things that was, you know, you look back on it now and it was like, wow, like, did this really happen? Like, was this already written in some kind of timeline where, um, you know, everything just worked out so amazing. So I was just, I'm very blessed in order to, uh, very blessed to, to, to have that, uh, you know, uh, childhood and, and go to those, go to those places. Growing up before you, you reached that point, uh, how many Orioles games would you go to a year? I mean, how often would you attend Camden Yards? Uh, we'd go, I think my dad and mom would take me probably once or twice. You know, we would, we'd sit up, uh, sit up in that higher kind of right field section. I remember looking down and, you know, seeing Cal play, seeing, uh, you know, Chris Hoyles, the Mike Lucinas, um, all those, all those uh, classic Orioles uh, play, and it's, you know, to, you know, to get uh, traded to them and then, you know, help them make it to the playoffs was, you know, it was a dream come true, I'll be honest. Who was a pitcher you liked to watch growing up? Uh, for me, it was, it, was, it was Glavin. I was always a Glavin guy because, you know, I never really over – I wasn't a Randy Johnson, obviously. I couldn't throw 100 with a wipeout slider. So, uh, you know, to me, like, guys that actually, you know, like, had to pitch and had to like kind of locate all these guys I tried to emulate. 
when you made it to the Angels and really the I think the first year with them you made probably two starts something like that and I think you the next year you kind of went back and forth between AAA and the big leagues and you were on a staff that featured John Lackey and Bartolo Colon. What did you learn from those two guys once you finally made it to the big leagues on a more permanent basis? Um, I mean, well, John Lackey probably, you know, he was probably my best teammate I can probably ever say. I mean, he, he took me under his wing. He kind of showed me the ropes and, you know, what to do, what not to do. And, you know, basically showed me like, hey, the more, the more work you put in, the, you know, the you know the, the better results you're going to get out of, of everything in life and in and in sports so um you know and he would always invite us out to dinners and just basically take care of all the young guys and I just remember how gracious and uh, thankful I was to him um you know basically when I when my career was over and I called him and just said hey you know thank you for being you you know thanks for being like probably the best team I ever had and uh you know he was he was just a good friend Going back to the 2012 wildcard game, and you were talking about stuff. I mean, obviously, at this point in your career, you're, you're towards the end. This is not, uh, you know, you popping into the big leagues, uh, you know, velocity-wise, I, I think. But uh, your ability to kind of go pitch by pitch with that team and, and, and to survive hitter by hitter, take us through the mentality. I mean, people use the word grit in sports and throw it around pretty loosely. But that was the ultimate, to me, grit performance by somebody on a mound. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, like my mentality, honestly, was, you know, give it everything you got and try to be as perfect as, as you can be. Um, you know, the nice thing about, you know, facing professional hitters is you can kind of, you know, get away with a, a mediocre pitch on pitch one because, you know, they like to be more patient. It's, it's honestly the younger guys that are more aggressive that kind of give, uh, you know, some of the veteran pitchers some headaches because they are so aggressive early in the count. So, um, you know, just getting ahead. I remember like, you know, telling myself before that game, I was like, hey, I got to get ahead of these guys because if I'm going to be working, working from behind in 2-0, kind of counts like that. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a rough night. And it's also going to be really tough, too. So, um, you know, getting ahead of them. Also, you know, when I did get ahead, you know, making quality good pitches. You know, I don't I don't remember how many guys I struck out. I might have struck out like maybe five, maybe six or something like that. But, uh, you know, just just making quality pitches early on, like putting them putting them on the defensive rather than me being always on the defensive. I remember, remember thinking about that. How much pride do you take in your longevity as a major leaguer when you didn't maybe have the, the, the type of overwhelming stuff that somebody like a, a John Lackey would have or, or Felix Hernandez uh, had when he was in his time with the Mariners? I mean, how much pride did you take in, in that fact that, that it was your pitch ability and your knowledge of how to attack hitters in the grit that you had that allowed you to stick in the big leagues for so long? Well, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I got hurt um, the first year. First year after I got drafted, I got hurt. I had a, you know, torn rotator cuff and a detached labrum uh, in 2003. So I was – I missed a whole year. And, you know, the you know I remember Dr. Yoakum for the Angels, he told me he told me once, like, hey, you can either basically spend two years and have surgery or you can try to rehab it and just, just get it as strong as you can be. So – um, that was kind of the turning point very early on in my, you know, minor league career. I, I wasn't even uh, close to making it to the big leagues at that point. So, you know, for I look back on it, like for me to, to pitch 10, 10 some odd years in the big leagues and have the career that I have for not, and, and not had surgery and, and uh, you know, pitch 200 innings uh, multiple times and make it to the playoffs. And, you know, it was really, uh, you know, I really feel blessed 
And, um, you know, I just, I've, I've got a lot of people to thank obviously along the way for pushing me and helping me, you know, through all those tough times. But, uh, you know, looking back, I mean, it was, I had a, I had a very blessed career. Pandemic and what we're going through now aside, how closely do you follow the game in retirement? I do. I, I try to, uh, I try to follow through, you know, trade rumors and obviously, you know, watching, uh, watching TV a bit. Uh, you know, I've got a couple of uh, buddies that are still, you know, uh, in, into the game and, and working for organizations. So I try to try to stay as close as I can. With your, your wife being a former Virginia Tech softball player, have you gotten a, a kick out of maybe seeing some of these different videos where, where players are, are training with their wives or fiancés and, and maybe they're helping them continue to stay in shape while we wait for baseball? It is. I mean, it, it's, it's tough times, but it's also, it's also interesting in the fact that if you look at it from, uh, from, from two different angles, like one angle is like, like yeah, we're cooped up and – and uh, we don't have sports and, you know, everybody's, you know, going through really hard times. Or you can look at it like, hey, we're very fortunate right now to be able to kind of take a break, take a step back, kind of, uh, you know, take your foot off the gas a little bit and spend some quality time with your family. And I think um, this has been a great opportunity only, you know, not only for myself, but for other people to, to really kind of focus on what's important in life. And, uh, you know, not so much the hustle and bustle and, and uh, you know, not worrying about yourself, but uh, really focusing on your family and uh, staying uh, strong and healthy. Well, Joe, it's been a, a lot of fun reliving some of those moments uh, from now, what, eight years ago, basically. Uh, you shot in a couple of playoff games. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like yesterday. <laughs> Joe, Joe Saunders, Hill Southball. Thank you so much, Joe. All right. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Orioles Auctions is the official online auction of the Baltimore Orioles. New autographed and authenticated items are now available, including Miguel Castro autograph ball, a DJ Stewart signed bat, Richie Martin autograph bat, Alex Cobb autograph jersey, Austin Wynn's autograph jersey, our pal Stevie Wilkerson has got an autograph jersey available. All proceeds from this Memorial Day auction benefit taps. Learn more at Orioles.com slash auctions. Auction ends Sunday, May 31st at 10 p.m. I want some Stevie Wilkerson autograph memorabilia for my collection. We all need more Stevie Wilkerson <laughs> in our lives, Jeff. I've decided that. All right, speaking of uh, what's to come here, uh, let's get into the draft. We're now uh, kind of bearing down on this a few weeks away. Uh, you have a lot of mocks coming out uh, with less baseball, obviously, right now. It's a good way to occupy the baseball brain. Uh, it looks like uh, Torkelson is going to be the pick of Detroit at one. I mean, I guess it doesn't – I mean, you never know these things. We've seen upsets before. Uh, but pretty – it seems to be the way that he's the consensus. He's kind of cro – it wasn't a consensus until, like, maybe a few months ago, but it's kind of crossed over in that. And then, you know, I think there's more of a debate about two. It could be the left-hander uh, Lacey, or it could be – uh, Martin, which I would say is the consensus at two, the infielder, outfielder for uh, Vanderbilt. To me, they probably pick Austin Martin because traditionally, if you look at drafts, picking a pitcher this high generally hasn't worked out all that well. 
I mean, if you go back and, and look at Cy Young Award winners that were picked at the very top of the first round, you don't see a whole lot of them in there, and especially in a season like this last one for college baseball where you didn't play a whole lot of games. I think there's going to be more of an inclination to take a position player over a pitcher. And from the Orioles' perspective, this doesn't hurt. You're going after your best player available at the top of the draft. But where the Orioles have a lot of weaknesses, it is in terms of infielders, outfielders, guys that, that will fit into that kind of mold. You don't have a lot of those people at the very top of your system. Austin Martin might be the, the best, you know, one of the best hitters for average in the entire draft. And he's probably going to, to me, be a, a third baseman, a second baseman, or a center fielder. I think he's played a little bit of shortstop, but it doesn't seem like that's probably where he'll be long term. So for me, I, I say probably Martin. And I think it's more likely, given that the Tigers have been going with a lot of pitching because they've picked high in the last couple of drafts. Torkelson's viewed as, as the best hitter and somebody that's pretty close to, to major league ready. So I say they probably go with him. That being said, and even though if you look at the Orioles from a, a pipeline perspective and the number of left field, third base, first base types that they have in their system, Torkelson's bat is so special, and you just don't see all that many first basemen going 1-1 one, one in the history of the draft. I can't think of any off the, the top, of, top, top of mind right now as we're doing this. I still think you would probably pick him if he drops to you, but I don't think he'll be on the board, and, and probably Martin would be who you'd go with it too. I believe – okay, uh, that organizational need has to be a consideration at this part of a draft um, more than most people. I mean, historic, yes, there are times if that, if that arm is there, if that slugger's there, uh, you just got to go with it in a baseball draft. But I feel much better about the Orioles outfield minor league depth right now, especially in the upper echelon levels, at least mm -hmm. from a depth perspective than I do uh, maybe infield. But let's, so, you know, Martin, could be second, could be short, could be third, could be outfield. There, it's one thing is clear. This draft is loaded with between fifteen and and fifty. It looks like as far as the mocks go of college shortstops who are really good. Uh, that's obviously an organizational need. Uh, they drafted a couple last year in you know in rounds like four and five or so. But uh, you know this group far better than I do right now, Jeff. When you look at uh, minor league infielders for the Orioles at different levels of development, you have the second round pick a few years ago in creating Grenier. You have Adam Hall, who a lot of people in the organization like uh, as far as someone who's, you know, going to be moving along here at some point. You have Mason McCoy. Uh, you have a lot of guys. Um, I don't know if anyone there is a lock, obviously. There's never such a thing. Uh, but it, it, you, you would like to have some infusion here of, uh, you know, some, some really high-end talent that you could think of move quickly, whether that's at pick 30 or at pick two. And to me, among that, that group that you mentioned – Grenier is great defensively. I didn't have a chance to see Adam Hall, but he had a great year last year with the Delmarva Shorebirds. And then Mason McCoy similarly had an impressive 2019 season. Those, uh, a couple of those guys could very well be major leaguers. I just don't necessarily know if I see them as impact major leaguers. So you pick somebody like Martin, you, you look at somebody that could very well play second base for you down the road or third base. Like I said, I don't think he probably is going to be your shortstop uh, in the future. And then you have the option, too, if you, if you put him in, in center field. But the Orioles value flexibility as far as being able to play a, a lot of different positions. And Martin, 
I, I was going back and watching a game that he played earlier this year when they had that MLB Network game against Michigan. The biggest thing that I, I noticed was that he was reading pitches really well. He faced some pretty good van, some pretty good Michigan uh, pitching in in that game. So I, I was impressed with with the way that he was just tracking pitches and how it looked like he had a plan when he was up there. Obviously, that's just watching one game. But if you look at some of the numbers from his his 2019 season and the the product that, that he is and the place where he was playing and the, the conference that he is playing in, I think that also gives uh, Martin a leg up and, a, and makes him a pretty good fit for the Orioles. Yeah, there seems to be a sense that he's just a terrific athlete. He's also someone like Adley Rutschman, who's played in so many meaningful college games, uh, meaningful games on the biggest stage. To me, listen, I'm not a scout. I'm not a front office guy, but I, I, I've tracked this stuff for a while. That, to me, has a lot of value. Um, and, and someone like uh, Rutschman and Martin have, you know, had moments where they've carried uh, teams in, in important spots. And then, you know, to play in the SEC uh, night in, night out, weekend series after weekend series, that's just a different caliber of college baseball. And, uh, I, you know, I put a lot of weight in that. And, and when you're looking at this rebuilding blocks, I mean, I, I've said for years now, the Orioles to me weren't starting at zero. The prospect depth has gotten better and better. Certainly by the time uh, this draft is over and you look at the uh, picks the Orioles have added, uh, two, the second pick, the 30th pick, and then uh, a few picks later as well, uh, you're going to see a top 10 and a top 25, top 30 that will probably be among the best in baseball. I mean, I really believe that and maybe extrapolate it out a little more when you're talking about having, you know, someone like a, a Rutschman, a Grayson Rodriguez, a Hall, a Martin. I mean, that's a good looking top four or five that any organization would probably covet every one of those guys. A Mount Castle I should throw in there as well. I mean, I mean, listen, you don't win the AAA International League MVP accidentally at his age. The Orioles farm system already took a massive jump by just adding Rutschman last year and then some of the other high picks that they were able to, to add into their, their system. But not only is it going to be individuals that, that stand out among maybe the top 40 or 50 best prospects in all of minor league baseball, but it's going to be your entire system, which you're trying to infuse with some more depth. And, and this is a draft that's supposed to be really good, probably the best pool of players that you've had in the last decade. And also don't forget the number of maybe veteran college players who don't get picked later on, who maybe don't have a reason to try and go back next year to school, even though they'll have the ability to do so, and consider the fact where the Orioles are. There is opportunities for playing time. So if you can maybe snatch somebody and give them a $20,000 signing bonus, which this year is, is capped at right now, that might be an investment for the Orioles to make. And you will have a bunch of different players looking at the opportunity to reach the major leagues quickly. And if they have the skill set that lines up with what the Orioles are looking for, and if the player has an interest in joining an organization where he knows if I perform, there could be an opportunity for me at the major leagues sooner rather than later. That could be pretty enticing for both parties. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's coming up. Uh, the baseball draft, obviously a shortened one this year, uh, but it's all Orioles. I mean, when you look at the volume of picks they have in this shortened draft, uh, which will be a sprint. Uh, well, Jeff, it's been real. We'll talk again soon, my friend. All right, Brett. Stay safe. This has been Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.